We've come as far as 2 Samuel chapter 15, a very heavy chapter with our remaining time here. We'll look at Absalom's treason, okay? Um, at that time, very clearly, uh, it was not only that Absalom was trying to make an attempt, because he's the oldest now, remember, Amnon's dead. So Ab Absalom's the oldest son at this point. He's making a run for the throne. But to make a run for the throne at that time meant you had to kill who was ever on the throne. And not only on the throne, but all the brothers and everybody else like that, so that there was no risk that that person would then come back in and try to, you know, come back on the throne that way or, or try to rebel that way. So what Absalom's actually doing here as he's rebelling is he's coming against not only David, the king, but David, his father. And I think that's just one of the most difficult things that I imagine Absalom was facing to, to, to think that, that the means justified the end because of what happened to his sister, you know, Tamar. She was raped because of Amnon and what he had done that somehow it justified him taking vengeance into his own hand, consequences into his own hands, rushing in to do this. It again just reminds me of what we watched. It's the times we're living. It's, it's so much rushing in instead of praying and waiting on the Lord and seeing what he has for us. Well, let's continue reading. So at this point, you remember, he's been brought back to Israel. He has not had, he, he had a, a, a first, a, a, a restoration with the king because he was brought in front of the king and he was publicly restored that way. He was given a, a kiss that way by his father. And you would think that would be enough. That would be the starting of rebuilding the relationship. But the funny thing is you can't hide the hearts and motives of people. I can't tell you how many guys I see that, you know, ill motives, you know, and, and I know them. And they don't think I know them, but I do. And it's, and you know people like that. So you can judge the heart because they know it all. They know it all. They, they, they can't, there's, there's no longer able to be taught, you know, the looking up and looking, you know, you, you know people like that. We all know people like that. And you just pray, Lord, please work those things out in the heart, because if not, it leads to something like murder, whether it means physically or, you know, an attack of the heart. After this happened, that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such tribe of Israel. So first thing we learn is he was not supposed to do that. Remember Deuteronomy? He was not supposed to build chariots and armies and do all those things like that. God had said, that's not what you're to do as a king. You're to be dependent and trustworthy, you know, trust the Lord that way. What's he doing? He's drawing attention to himself. This is all about Absalom. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. What is he doing? He's pointing out faults in David's kingdom. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any, any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. What's he doing? He's politicking, isn't he? he he's putting a full-on case here, you know, seeking a campaign. And so it was whenever anyone came near to bow down to him that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. Boy, that just, <laughs> that just reeks of a politician, doesn't it? Kiss the babies? I mean, we laugh, but... In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king 
for judgment. So Absalom stole, not earned by investing in genuineness, but stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He was cunning. He was tricky. That's what he was doing. Now it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, please let me go to Hebron and pay a vow which I made to the Lord. So he's gone to King David. King David at this point would be about 60 years old, if you want to write in the margin. He'd be about 60 years old at this time. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt in Gersher in Syria, right? He was staying with his family there, saying, if the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. He's even using the name of God as he's ploying to do this. How disgraceful, just how wicked that is. And the king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. I want you to underline that go in peace, please, in your scripture. This will be the last words that King David speaks to his son while he's alive. The last words he'll speak to his son. Go in peace, son. Go in peace. Next time he sees him, he'll be dead. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, when you shall say, Absalom raids in Hebron, and with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Right? He didn't reveal the entire plan to them. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel. Now this man was a very trusted counselor. He had been with David for a long, long time, 20, 30 plus years. He had been a counselor to David. He was very wise. He had brought, you know, wise counsel to David. But you might wonder, why is he going all of a sudden and taking role with Absalom? What, what's going on here? Well, a careful study of the scripture, right? If we, if we just hold our finger here and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 34, it'll become... A little bit clear for us. Chapter 23, verse 34. We read here, a little further ahead there, chapter 23, verse 34. Eliphalet, the son of Ahabi, the son of Maconite, Elam, the son of Ahithophel. So we see Elam, the son of Ahithophel. Well, we've seen that name Elam before, haven't we? You may, you may or may not remember this. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 3. So go backwards the other way now. 2 Samuel eleven three. 3. Now that we know who dad was, who's the daughter? 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 3. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of who? Elihim. Bathsheba was his granddaughter. That's why Ahithophel is getting involved here. Do you see that? I wonder, it's, it's right before us. That explains why he was willing to turn from David after 20 or 30 years, because he felt like at this point, not only was he insulted, but his entire family was insulted because of the sin with Bathsheba that was committed. And rather than Ahithophel dealing with that or going out and dealing with he, he didn't do anything. Instead, he kept that bitterness, and it ends up destroying him and the relationship he had with David. Now, I have every reason to believe at this point that huh, David had made attempts to be, get right with Ahithophel. And you may say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 55.
Psalm 55. This is actually a psalm that, that David was inspired to write at this very moment we're reading about in chapter 15, when he felt the treachery and what was going on. If we read this, we'll get an understanding that David was incredibly repentant for what had happened with Bathsheba. He had gotten right with God. He was forgiven. God saw it fit to keep him as king. He could have turned around and certainly invoked the capital crime as a capital crime, capital punishment. God didn't. God showed mercy and grace in that situation, kept David in office, but Ahithophel thought he knew more than God. He actually thought he had a better judgment than God on this. But let's look at David's heart, because I believe in the reading of the scripture, and again, I can't say it matter-of-factly, but I believe that David would have gone to Ahithophel and he would have repented. He would have said sorry to Ahithophel. For whatever reason, Ahithophel didn't receive that forgiveness. And the scriptures in the New Testament as well have a lot to say when somebody comes to us and asks us for forgiveness. We have a direct response that we're, we're supposed to give. We're supposed to respond a certain way. But let's look at Psalm 55 for a minute. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and, mo and moan noisily. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in the wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. This is what David was experiencing. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I've seen the violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in the midst of it, and oppression and deceit do not part from its streets. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. You see that? It's his son. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man of my equal, my companion and my acquaintance, who took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in throng. Let death seize them. And, and I also think he has Ahithophel in mind here too. Let them go down alive into hell, for the wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. Amen. As we were going on, uh, I believe I was on verse 16. Is that sound about right? As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and noon, I will pray and cry out loud, and he shall hear my voice, and he has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from old, Selah, because they did not change. Therefore, they did not fear God. He has put forth his hand against those who were at peace with him, and he has broke his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. How many have heard that song? Cast your cares on the Lord, he will sustain you. Oh, then we got to sing it at the end here. 
Not right now, at the end. <laughs> he shall never permit the righteous to be moved, but you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. This is what was going on. Clearly, David had a right heart. Clearly, David was seeking God. Clearly, David was praying for help. And that's why I believe that in, in spite of this treachery, in spite of what is going on, not only from his son, but Ahithophel, I have no doubt that God was ministering to David and David was turning around and, and praying for help. But, but what does the Bible teach we should do? If somebody comes to us and they've wronged us, what does the Bible say and how should we respond to them? It, it, let's turn to Luke chapter 17. Hold your finger here. Luke chapter 17, verse 3, gives us our response. And, and look, I understand this is difficult. There's many of you here that have been wronged in ways that I, look, I, I don't even begin to understand. I don't want to pretend. Somebody's wronged you. I, I know there's people here that have been in abusive situations, abused as a child, uh, you know, children, different things have happened, car accidents, horrible things. And God is asking you to forgive. Look at verse 3 of chapter 17. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, what's it say? Forgive him. We are commanded by Jesus Christ to forgive. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times a day he returns to you saying, I repent, you shall what? Forgive him. He wrote that in there for me, the seven times. He wrote that in there for me because he knows my heart. He knows my heart. And, but Lord, come on, you can't. Clearly he just doesn't mean this, Lord. He keeps doing the same thing over and over. And then Jesus is so gentle to put a mere rape in front of me. And I look in the mirror and I said, Lord, I've done that to you. I keep sinning against you that way over and over again. Romans 6 says that we've been given the power over sin, right? When we sin now, we sin because we willingly choose to. It's not as though Satan or anything has power over us to force us to do that. No, that's our choice, and I have to take personal responsibility for that. Well, I've got you here. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. So we're in the New Testament. Turn, turn to chapter 5, verse 24. He, he begins to say, even when we, we hate somebody, we say, Raka, you fool, or we turn around and we, we have animosity in our hearts, this bitterness, he's saying that that left unchecked is as bad as murder. He says, there, if there's something going on like that, look, verse 23, actually, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. And the judge hand you over to the officer and you'd be throwing into prison. How about uh, Matthew chapter 18? What do you do if there's a situation going on these are just, I hope you're writing these, you know, notes down in your Bible, front of your Bible. These are good passages to review over and over again. What do you do if you have a problem with a brother that's in sin? And, and you need to deal with that issue. What do you do? You know, uh, the natural inclination is I'm going to the pastor of the church. But is that the right thing to do? No. No, actually, that's the wrong thing to do. The Bible says that you are to go to your brother or your sister first 
and to explain your heart to them. And then if they don't receive it, then you go with, you know, two or three others or elders, and if they still don't receive that, then yes, you come to the pastor of church. Because if it's a discipline issue, then as 1 Corinthians 5 says and 6, there might be a buffeting of Satan that needs to take place. But that's a last extreme situation. I thank the Lord we have not had that happen in this church. And, and I know there's, you know, Calvary, you know, Pastor Joe in 30 years, I think he's had that five times maybe in 30. It shouldn't be a frequent event. There should always be an opportunity for brothers and sisters to come together in unity and, and to help each other. It shouldn't be something like that. It shouldn't come to that. But look, look what it says in Matthew 18. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Chapter 18, verse 15. But if you will not hear, take with you one or two, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to like you, a heathen and a tax collector. That's the worst possible thing you could have been in that first century church there. Tax collector was, you know, a murderer that way. Assuredly, I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them in my Father in heaven. For where two or three three are gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst of them. I love that passage. So often it gets quoted out of context. But it's talking about in in a matters of dispute, that when you come to your brother and you're praying and you seek the Lord, God is present. And he's going to unify and he's going to pull together and restore what the canker worm has eaten. I like that. So clearly you can see Ahithophel, you can turn back there. Clearly Ahithophel is hurt. And because of his hurt and feeling wrong, rather than going to David as he should to deal with this, he's taking matters into his own hands. And he says, you know what? I'm with you, Absalom. And then Absalom sent Ithophel. Well, let me, let me back up. Then Absalom sent spies, verse 10, throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. You see, this is what he's doing. He's, he's telling him, basically, declare yourself king. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from the city, from Gilah, while he offered sacrifices. You see, that's what he was doing. He was seeking the Lord. And the conspiracy grew strong, for the people of Absalom continually increased in number. We have a full-on rebellion on our hands there. So we're going to stop there for this evening, because we did have the video, and I... I want to be sensitive to the time, and many of us have work in the morning, and I want you to be well rested. And but please go ahead and read ahead of chapter five, verse or chapter fifteen, verse thirteen, and go ahead and read all the way through chapter sixteen. And next week we'll come back, Lord willing. He doesn't, you know, if we're raptured out, we'll praise the Lord, man. But if he should tarry, we'll come back and we'll go line by line and we'll go through this. But just to, to take a few minutes, just to even talk about these first twelve verses. God is telling us there's a right and a wrong way to handle dispute. There's a right and wrong way to handle conflict. There's a way that's pleasing and honoring to God. And there's a way that leads to rebellion. And in every single case, we have a choice. We can choose 
to seek and honor God and bring glory to his name, even though, man, I know it hurts when you're wrecked and you're just undone that way. It hurts. And you might be thinking to yourself, but it's seven times 77. You know, how many times? Well, God using the idea of it's seven times in a day, he's trying to say there is no limit. That no matter how many times we're wrong, no matter how many times that way, what we see David do here and what we're going to read, and it's so beautiful. I love these passages of David as we go into verse 13, some of the most difficult times of his life, his own son trying to kill him and his brothers and everything. I mean, just so difficult. And yet we see such a beauty and a, such a surrender from this man. King David goes to the Lord. He even when his guys are like, hey, you know, Abishai, and hey, let's get him, let's kill him again. You know, Abishai doesn't even say, let's just, you know, get him right in the side. No, he says, let's just take his head off, you know. Yeah, Abishai and Joab, they're brothers. I don't know what to say for him. I mean, those guys are just always, kill him, kill him, you know. And David just comes back, and he's like, no, no, no. Vengeance is the Lord's. Vengeance is the Lord's. Certainly, I want to be very clear. This isn't saying that you can't protect and defend your family. I want to be very crystal clear about that. That's not what this is saying. This is not saying that if somebody breaks into your house and they're trying to harm your loved ones, you're like, hey, I'm going to turn the cheek for you right now. No, no, no. No. You protect your loved one. God would have you to do that. We read that in Scripture. But certainly if somebody wrongs you and they come to you and they do seek forgiveness, no matter how difficult it is, even if you're going, God, I can't forgive them. You may not be able to, but Christ in you can offer forgiveness. And you can lay it down, never to pick it up again. Because if not, you're either going to be a David or you're going to be a Hithophel. David prayed for forgiveness, got right. Ahithophel didn't, and he turns around, and he creates a wake of destruction around him. Not only his life, but Absalom and everyone else that are going to be dead. Another one of David's sons because of sin and the consequences of sin. These things are for our exhortation. These things are for our need of correctness and how to live our lives in a godly way. Amen? Will you stand? We're going to close with our song. and. Uh, again, I know, I don't think we've ever as a fellowship ever had a video like that before the teaching. I know we normally go line by line. I hope it was uh, something to help you all pray through these things because I know a lot of you have actually even come to me and said, what do we do, Pastor? And, and look, at the end of the day, you need to seek Jesus, okay? This is an individual decision between you and Jesus. But I will say this, that in Pennsylvania, if you do require a exemption because of, you know, religious beliefs, in other words, taking shots that have uh, aborted fetal cells or something like that, I will sign any exemption for you. So if there's ever a situation where you need me to sign that because they're going to threaten your job or you may lose a job or, or, or something like that, please come see me at once. We've already done it. We've already started signing them. People, employers are accepting them. If you need that, please come see me and I will sign that for you, okay? Father, we just thank you for this, this time here tonight, Lord, is certainly wanted to be far more in your word than um, we got here tonight, but Lord, I know there are no, no coincidences, no mistakes, God, you certainly are speaking to your flock, you're warning them, you're protecting them, and God, I pray you'll be with them in all the decisions they have to make. There's so many decisions today, Lord, and they all come with 
incredible just circumstances and consequences. So God, I pray for wisdom, supernatural wisdom for all of us here, for us, for our children, and for our grandchildren, Lord. I pray you'll lead us, God, and strengthen us for these last days, that we will be faithful, that we will stand in the gap. And Lord, we'll turn around and do everything we can to strive in unity. We ask that you protect this church, protect every one of us here as we go our homes here tonight. Just restore us with sweet sleep. And we know your mercies are made new tomorrow if we should wake up. We thank you for that, God, Almighty Father. We pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship our Lord.